Bible or your device, whatever it is, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Say, I believe the word is true. And when the word is deposited in my faith-filled heart, it produces results. It is impossible to hear and obey the word and not get what the word says. Amen. It is impossible to hear and obey the word and not get what the word says. Amen. Now, if you believe that, high five somebody and let's take a seat and get into the word this morning. Amen. You can be seated. No, go ahead. You can be seated. <laughs> Listen, it is so important that you live as a person of faith. It is so crucial for you to be a person of faith. Say, I am a person of faith. I am a it is important. We talked to you guys a couple of weeks ago. Those of you who listened on the broadcast on Sunday, we talked about how important it was to be a person of faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. But without faith, God cannot please us. Because everything that will be received in the kingdom of God will be received how? By faith. By faith. Say, I am a person of faith. I am a person. Say, I choose to believe God. See, you need to understand that believing is a choice. You just simply have to make a decision. In any situation, when you, but when someone tells you a story, you make a choice whether to believe them or not. That's how simple it is to be a person of faith. You just choose to believe God. Say, I make a choice to believe God. Amen. And so, you know, we've been talking about how important it is to walk by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, God can't please us. And we talked about how if you are, once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've already exercised faith. It took faith to get saved. You can't be saved unless you believed. The job of a believer is to believe. It's real simple what our job is. Our job is to believe God. Say, I'm a believer, not a doubter. That's our job. The number one job of a believer is to believe God. We looked at 1 Timothy um, on the broadcast last week, 1 Timothy 6 and 12, and it says our job is to fight the good fight of faith. So we understand that the job of the enemy is to position things in front of us to make us question what God said. Don't be surprised when the enemy does his job. His job is to put things in front of you to make you question what God said. That is his job because he cannot stop you from receiving what God has for you unless he can convince you to abandon what God said to you. See, the enemy cannot stop you from being healed. He cannot stop you from being saved. He cannot stop you from having a prosperous relationship. He cannot stop you from starting a business, from being wealthy, from excelling in school. But he can put so much down in front of you that you stop yourself. And so it's important for us to keep the word before us, meditating on the word, speaking the word, agreeing with the word. So when the enemy brings, Pastor Elwin called him in our confession this morning, sideshow distractions. When the enemy brings these sideshow distractions, these things that are designed to get you off course, to throw you off, that you already have enough word to go, no, I see that for what it is. I'm not going to be moved. In this life, you're going to have trouble. Tell your neighbor, say, trouble, trouble. Is, a is a part of this life. But the Bible says, thanks be to God who helps us overcome trouble. 
So we're not shocked when trouble shows up. When trouble shows up, it is our opportunity to see what God is about to do. When, tr- when lack shows up, it's your opportunity to see how God will provide. When sickness shows up, it's your opportunity to see that God heals. When distress shows up, it's your opportunity to see that God is a God of peace. But if you don't have word in your heart, you will struggle. And one of the things I said last week is this, is that going to church does not make you a person of faith any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. And so if you're going to be a person of faith, you must hear the word. You must make hearing the word a priority. So here's the thing you have to understand. Because the enemy knows that he cannot stop you unless he can get you to abandon, he will do everything he can to keep you from getting in the word. Some of you can attest that Sunday mornings are your most difficult morning. It's your most difficult morning because he knows that if you get the word, you will be equipped to defeat him over the next week. Your kids have to go to school at 8 o'clock every day, the kids who go to school. You don't come to church at 9.30, but on Sundays, kids don't get up. Don't be mad at the kids. See it as the strategy of the enemy to try to keep you from getting the word and purposing your heart to get the word. Amen. This is so important because we're called to live by faith. We're called to live in victory. We're called to overcome, but we have to expect to overcome. Do you know that it's very difficult for a team that doesn't expect to win to win? As a believer, you ought to expect to win. You ought to expect for your life to get better every week. You ought to expect to get wiser in the word. You ought to expect to grow and become. You ought to expect for your marriage to get better. You ought to expect for your relationship with your kids to be good. You have to have an expectation for what God desires to do in your life. And you can't be distracted by the things that the enemy would do. That's his job to distract. Your job is to stay focused. Say, my job job. is to stay stay focused. My job is to stay focused. I don't have time to be moved by negative people. I don't have time to be knowing what haters saying. Who cares what haters saying? Haters can only stop you if you agree with them. The devil can't stop you. How do we know you got saved? If he was going to stop you from doing anything, he'd have stopped you from getting saved. The moment you agree with God, you cannot be stopped. Amen. 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 So we're just going to go through some more faith scriptures this week because my my goal is to inspire your faith to help you stand up on the inside and to live as a victorious Christian so that your life can be a light to other people who are not walking in victory so that you can see be overcoming and have testimonies of increase in your life. Our lives should not be stagnant. We should be continuously growing. We should grow by faith. Our marriages should be getting better. Our money should be getting better. Our health should be getting better. We should be growing and becoming, not staying the same. Amen? Let's look at Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. How many of you believe that God is a God of abundance? Amen. God, now let's just say it. Say God is, God is. a God of abundance. Now, the challenge for a lot of people is that you grew up in lack. And so because you grew up in lack, you grew up hearing things like this. Money doesn't grow on trees. You grew up. How many of you heard that growing up? Money don't grow on trees. You grew up hearing things like 
Sometimes somebody in your family had to make a choice of whether they would go do something for you or somebody else because it wasn't enough to go around. And if you're not careful, you'll bring that mentality into the kingdom of God. And you'll begin to think that because you have a good marriage, you don't have a right to get a raise. Or because you are because you making more money than anybody in your family has made that you don't have a right to make more. But you need to know that God is a God of abundance. There is no shortage in God. There is no short. Say that. Say there is no shortage in God. Now, some of you are facing shortage. You're facing shortage in your money. You're facing shortage in your relationships. You're facing shortage in wisdom. But I'm here to tell you there is no shortage in God. So any place there is a shortage is because you have not tapped into what God is saying about your situation. There is more than enough. Amen. In Ephesians 3 and 20, it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Turn and look at your neighbor in the face and tell him God wants to do more. more. Turn and tell somebody else. No, really, I want you to look at him in the face. Tell him, say, God wants to do more. Why is that so important? Because if you don't realize that God wants to do more, you will settle for living beyond only with what you can manage. You will live at a level that's less than what God is calling you to live at because you don't understand that God wants to do more. So it says that he wants to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Imagine it. It looks like this. If you made a list of every single thing you could imagine ever doing, having, going, God would add to it. Amen. Amen. Selah. Let it sink in. Let, let it sink in because everybody kind of looked at me. If you took every single thing you could imagine having, doing, going, and accomplishing, God would add to it. If you said I wanted to be, if, if you say I wish my net worth was a million dollars, he said let's go for two. Because he is an exceeding, abundantly, above all you could ask or think God. Why is it important for you to believe that? If you don't believe it, you will always be limited by what you can earn or what you think you can deserve. Your your life will always be limited. And yes, you may live better than other people, but the call is not to live better than other people. It is to live the way God has called us to live so that our life will be a light to people who are in need. Amen? We don't just want good marriages. We want exceeding abundantly above marriages. We don't just want good kids. We want exceeding abundantly above kids. We don't just want good bank accounts. We want exceeding abundantly above bank accounts. We don't just want good performance at our job. We want exceeding abundantly above so that people ask us why and we say it is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Nobody asks you what the Lord is doing when it looks average. That's right. That's right. Nobody asks you what the Lord is doing when it looks average. Because <laughs> they assume the Lord is doing what they're doing, which is average. So we want to position ourselves to receive the best that the Lord has. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and 6. Is this making sense to you? I want to stretch you because God is a God of abundance. God wants to give you more than you could ever spend more wisdom than you could ever use. And here's one of the challenges for believers. One of the challenges for believers is that the church has been 
infiltrated with this poverty mentality. And this poverty mentality says things like this. If I really want to be a good Christian, how could I live in a big old house? Because if I live in a big old house, then I could live in a little house and I could give my stuff away. But you believe that because you don't believe that God is a God of abundance. Growing up, did anybody else mama say this? You know where I'm going with this. Some of you know where I'm going. You didn't eat your, all the food on your plate. And then your mama would say, it's some starving kids in Africa. Anybody hear that growing up? Do you know that those kids were not starving because you didn't eat the food on your plate? Do you know that even if your mama had packed that food up and sent it to Africa, it would have been decomposed before it got there for the kids to eat it? Your abundance isn't the result for somebody else's shortage. My abundance is not the result for somebody else's shortage. On the flip side, somebody else's abundance is not the result of your shortage. There is more than enough. If you have a shortage, it's because you have a shortage mentality. You're somebody, and see, that's the problem because then people, the, the challenge is, is that if we're all honest, people try to be like, have false humility, but in reality, everybody want to be rich. Now, I'm just going to tell you, you, wanna, you, you may not want to be flashy rich, but you want to be rich. And you know why you want to be rich? You want to be rich so when your kids ask for something, you don't have to say, we can't afford that this week. So that when you see somebody who's hungry, you can feed them and feed yourself. Every, nobody grew up. You want a little kid. And somebody said, Angel, what you want to be when you grow up? I just want to barely make it. <laughs> That's nobody's dream. Ain't nobody had no barely making it dream. I just want to barely make it. I just want to get paid, and then when I get paid, I don't want to know if it's, I want to wonder if it's going to be enough, because that's going to keep me humble and depending on the Lord if I always have to wonder if it's enough. Nobody says that growing up. We are designed, we are people of increase because our God is a God of increase. And so if the enemy can get believers to believe that they shouldn't increase, then who ends up with all the wealth? People who don't care about God. And so then you look at wealthy people who don't care about God and wonder why they don't do the right thing. It's not the, it's not the job of the wicked to feed the hungry. It, it's not the job of the wicked to send your kids to school. It's our job because God wants to do more in our life. If we don't have an abundance mentality, we won't even ask God to do abundance in our life. All our prayers will be about just enough. How do I know? Most people take their budget out. They look at what they need. They look at what's the minimum you need to pay everything on this list. What's the minimum you can save? What's the minimum you can give? You have a minimum mentality, not a maximum mentality. And when people have a minimum mentality, they are not people of abundance and they are not positioned to receive what God has for them. Imagine, just imagine the possibilities of what it would be like if you paid all your bills with 10% of your income. What could you do? What kind of impact could you make? But you'll never get to pay all of your, no, 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 hold on, hold on. I'm not talking about cutting off all your cable. Never getting your nails done. I'm not talking about a cutback mentality, but what could you do if right now, if off 10%, 10% of what you brought in covered every bill you had, 
how could you be a blessing? But if you don't even have that mentality, you won't even ever ask God, you know what, God, I'd like to live off 10%. I'd like to live off 10%. So when I hear the kids are hungry at a school, I could just adopt the whole school. How much food y'all need? When I hear that a kid is about to drop out of school because they don't qualify for financial aid, I could just say, listen here, as long as you make a three-point, I'll pay for you to go to school. But you can't do that with a minimum mentality. So the enemy works to keep you in a minimum struggling mentality so you can't be blessed to be a blessing. And it's an overflowing mentality in the church. Here's how you know. Look at people's testimonies. People's testimonies are always about what somebody gave them. I went to the store and they gave it to me for free. That's a minimum mentality. Because an abundance mentality is I went to the store, I paid for the people behind me. But when I have a minimum mentality, I'm always looking for how somebody can hook me up because I don't believe abundance is my inheritance. So I'm looking for somebody to break me through instead of being the one that breaks other people through. Yes. Uh, And then they say in the old church, I'm preaching way better than you saying amen. Way better. Because I'm trying to shift your thinking so you can shift your living. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 11 and 6. You getting anything out of this? And see, what happens is this. This is why people, um, see, a minimum mentality is what causes you to be a stingy giver. Because it's not enough. It's not enough. If I give $100 here, what are we going to do about gas? If I do this, what about this? God has never called us to live this way. In fact, 2 Corinthians says this, it is his desire for you to be abundantly supplied for every good work. Do you know what God measures as a good work? Everything that's good. God never designed for you to have to decide whether your kids could take ballet lessons or whether you could give. God never designed for you to have to decide whether you could send somebody to college or go on vacation. That is not the will of God. All you have to do is look at the Old Testament. It's so crazy to me because we talk about how we have a better covenant than the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, they all had money. Everybody who served the Lord had money. God made them rich. Why? Because how are you going to be a blessing if you don't have nothing? I'm hungry. You hungry. Let's just pray. I'm not trying to be funny. Hungry people, they don't want your prayers. They want some chicken. They want some chicken. People hungry, they want some chicken. People about to get kicked out their apartment, about to lose their house, they they don't want you close. See, because they know that when you close your eyes to pray, that means you don't have no money to solve the problem. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. When, When we go out to dinner and we get the bill, we don't pray. We don't take the bill and go, well, Father, you know we done ate this food, Jesus, and we need you to give us a breakthrough. Why? Because we have the supply. God intends for us to have the supply. But we don't have because we don't expect and we don't ask because we're so busy barely making it and being thankful for barely making it that we don't have an expectation that God would do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Amen. 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 
Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, For without faith it is impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe what? That he is and what? One of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. God doesn't provide with scraps. God doesn't provide with scraps. God doesn't have a shortage mentality, so God ain't tripping whether you ask for $10 or $10,000. It takes the same faith. $10 billion. He doesn't care because God doesn't have a shortage mentality. Oh, Pastor Sean, we shouldn't ask for that much. That's why we can't help that much. That's why we can't bless that much. You know, I've always felt like this, that the church, if we decide, somebody was talking to us last night, Leah was, she was talking about being able to do something back to school for kids in August, right? The church should never have to go to Walmart and ask Walmart to give us backpacks. Oh, ain't nobody going to say nothing. I'm, gonna tell you, I'm trying to help you. We should never have to go to Walmart and ask Walmart to help us fund God's business. But the reason we do is because the people who sit in the pews don't have an abundance mentality. And so what we do is we, we have a, a project and we say, who can we get to help us? Instead of looking at what's on the inside of us that would produce so that God could increase. And then, right, and then that's the difference. Then they want to partner with us. I can show it to you scripturally. God, um, David dies. Solomon prays for wisdom. Jesus, God says to him, because you ask for wisdom, I'll make you the richest man to ever live. So Solomon goes to work creating wealth. He goes to wealth to work creating wealth, and all the kings begin to come to see Solomon because they want to know how he's doing what he's doing. Now, if you go back and you study history, it says that the Queen of Sheba at the time was the richest queen. She had the richest kingdom until Solomon came along. The Bible says that when she entered into where Solomon was, she fainted because she couldn't believe it. And then she partnered with him. She said, how you do this? I want to be a part of this. Let's trade. They sh nobody should have to help us because we so pitiful. Nobody should have to help us because we struggling so much. People should look and they should say, how did a church with 50 people do that? How, wait, they only got how many people over there? How'd they do that? How did a church with 50 people feed three schools? How'd they do that? Because the people said, I believe I'm blessed to be a blessing. God, you, you know what's in this budget right here. So I need you to talk to me about some multiplication, some increase, and what's the next strategy that I need to do. And I need you to help to resist, to help me to resist from going back to a cut menta cutback mentality to get it. Right, right, right. He'll do it. So it says we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, the really sad thing is that most believers have never asked God to make them wealthy. Because you think it's wrong. At some core value, we should just have enough. How do you impact the world with just enough? How do, okay, all right. How many of you are like first generation something? 
so you like first generation college or you make more money than da da da. Okay, so like you're really excited because you got that job, that first job that made more money than like your mama and made, right? Until somebody had that first need. And then you realize that what you made wasn't enough. Because when they called you, because they call and ask you for the $1,100 that it took you three months to save. God wants to do more. God will give a woman more eggs than she can ever produce babies, more sperm than a man can ever produce, but God can't give you more money than you could ever need. Oh, we shouldn't talk about money. Do you realize why most people get divorced? Why, do you know why most people get divorced? Money. You know why? Because if you don't have no money, it's hard to have romance. It's hard to have romance when it's no money. You like, ain't no, because let me tell you something. It's, it's sexy if we turn the lights off on because we want to. It is not sexy when the lights got to be off. And so he like, baby, can I? You like, if you touch me, if you touch me, I'm going to cut you. So if you fighting over money, it's hard to, to, to be romantic. Especially you got a couple of little kids. You like, you better not try to have sex with me. We barely feed these kids we got now. I wish you would touch me. <laughs> Well, what about your kids? What about the dreams? How many times have you had to tell a kid that they couldn't have something because you couldn't afford it? Or you trying to fit, or even if, now listen, because this is what most parents good at. You figured out how to do it, but it costs you so much. You got them to camp, you got them to wonder, but like, like, have you ever felt the pressure that you like if one more person asked for something? I have stretched and tapped this budget out. Like we are hanging on with a bed not nobody. You better not grow last over the night. You better not grow. You better not grow. You better not grow. I need you to make these pants last till spring. Right. Your, your little girl, her pants get too short. You like, baby, wear them boots. Wear them boots. You taking the pants, rolling them up on the side with the convert like a little. It's, it, see, wealth is designed to give you choices. So, so if your pants too short, they too short because you bought them like that and they want them like that, not because that's all you got. And do you understand that a group of people that are having to figure out how to do the best for their own family can't think about nobody else's family? A group of people that are trying to figure out how to do the best for their family yeah. don't have much for their church family. And so you got to get this thing in your heart that God wants to increase you. So there is more for you. There's more for your family. There's more for the kingdom. Amen. 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 But you can't attract what you despise. And a lot of people despise rich people. Because a lot of people have looked at rich people's money and tried to tell rich people what they should do with their money. Come on, man. Let me help you. Whether I got five dollars or five hundred thousand, you don't have the right to count my dollars. 
they my dollars. They my, they my, they, as Kenosha would say, they're my little coins. They're my coins. You don't have a right to count my coins. But when we have a shortage mentality, what we say is, it would be better if Misty did more. Now, we, we'll just use them as a good example because we follow this example out. Right, like, they just got, they got a baby that's not here yet, right? So they don't have, so if they just did more, because you know, they got a lot of kids over on this side of the room. There's a lot of kids over here. So if Misty and Liz just did better, everything would be better. Instead of an abundance mentality that says, how can I increase so that I become the solution to the problem? That is the whole mantra of blessed to be a blessing. That we should come in, it's years ago, we began to really, really increase. And when you increase, you know, um, I think it was, um, it comes from the book of, um, come from a, of the hip hop book of um, Biggie, More Money, More Problems is what it comes from. And, uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know, some stuff come from the Bible, so. <laughs> Right, it come, it, it, it come from the book of Biggie. <laughs> I think the song is actually called Chapter More Money, More Problems, okay? <laughs> Chapter More Money, More Problems. And so what it says right there is that he says the more money you have, the more problems you have. And one of the reasons, uh, listen, I, I, I'm just going to be transparent with you. There are times I have appreciated not having abundance because then when I say I don't have it, it's not a lie. But the maturity is when I have the ability that even when God, when even when you say you want it and God says don't give it, that I can say no. See, part of increase is in the kingdom is realizing that you are a steward of God's finances. And some of you have withheld your own increase because you have given when God told you not to give. Because you have helped when God told you not to help. So if we're going to manage kingdom wealth, because this is about faith for kingdom wealth, because we never go be able to do all the things we do, what we need to do without wealth. If we're going to manage kingdom wealth, we have to get comfortable with saying no, not just when we don't have it, but when we do. And so wisdom is the ability to know when to say yes and when to say no. And what we say is we say it's so hard because we don't realize that when we interfere giving money to somebody when they're in a process with God that we delay the process. That's true. You've got to hear God. Amen. 3 John 2, because I'm just trying to get it settled in your heart that you're not supposed to be living paycheck to paycheck. I'm going to take you further. Not only should you not be living paycheck to paycheck, having three months expenses is good. But it ain't the, it, it, it's not the arrival. <laughs> Six is better, but that's not the arrival. A year is good, but it's not the arrival. It's the ability to be abundantly supplied. Pastor Sean, could I ever do that if I asked God to help me? I say this all the time. Um, probably drives my kids crazy. I say there is no shortage of money. Now, you may have a shortage of money. But there is no shortage of money. Money circles this planet 
every day, and it will come to the people who are prepared to capture it. There are actually more $100 bills in circulation than $1 bills, but most of you see more $1 bills because your expectation is for $1 bills. There is no shortage of money. And you have to watch it. And see, here's the trick. The enemy will try to use this thing called false wisdom to keep you from pursuing more. Well, it's not wisdom to have four pair of black shoes. Is it a shortage of black shoes? It's not a shortage. You can go in any store and they got black shoes. Like, it's not a shortage. Like we say things like that in our family because you can see poverty mentality everywhere. You know, when you mad because somebody ate the last cookie. Now, come on, come on. I'm trying to help you identify yourself because you have gone to the cabinet and been ready for some Oreos or you went to get some milk for some cereal and it wasn't none there. And it, it might as well have been the apocalypse the way you went off about them cookies being gone, about that milk being gone. Hear me, because I'm trying to get you to understand. That's a poverty mentality because you, there is no shortage of Oreos. There's no shortage of milk. It's no shortage. It's a difference between being mad because your kids ate all the cookies because you don't want them to get sick and being mad because you went, I just bought them cookies. What'd you buy them for? Did, did, did you buy them to save them? I mean, are, 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 are we now collecting cookies? We go hold on to them. This, what, what? Do you see there are these places where you can see how lack and shortage are working on the inside of you and you have to call it out and ask God to give you a prosperous soul. Third John 2, it says, Beloved, above all things, I wish you would prosper and be in health. I wish you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Just like your body cannot be any more physically healthy than your mind about health, your money cannot be any more prosperous than your mind about money. You can never live above your thinking. Am I saying that we shouldn't be thankful for where we are? No, we should be thankful, but we shouldn't be content. Some of you have dreams. You have things you want to do. Wouldn't it be a blessing if money didn't stop you from doing what you dreamed of doing? People want to go to Africa. People want to work with kids. They want to do all of these things. But the number one thing that's screaming at you, telling you that you can't do it is what? What? Who? who? Like, we, we like, God is the boss of us. But really, who the boss of us? I, I, I know you don't want to say it. Who really the boss of you? Your money tell you where to eat. It tell you where to live. It tell you when and if you can go on vacation. It tell you what you can do with your kids. But God never called you to live that way. He called you to live to know that he is your full supply. How do we practically do this? So he says, our life is never going to live above our thinking. Here's the reason that God gives us something in our imagination. And it was so funny because we had a great talk with Lee yesterday and she was really demonstrating this principle for us. In Habakkuk 2, it says, write the vision and make it plain. So God will give you something. Listen, the stuff that God put in your heart, 
here's what you should understand up front. You can't afford to do it. Amen. See, if you just settle that, if you just settle that, you won't be stressed out. The, thing, the, the things you do are the things you can afford to do. The things God give you to do, you can't afford to do You're not supposed to be able to afford to do them. You are supposed to have to go back to him and say, you told me we were going to do this. How in the world are we going to do this? So he can say, come on, let's partner together. Let me show you how to do what you can't do by yourself. If everything in your life is based on your budget and your dots, where your faith? You don't need faith. You don't need faith to spend five dollars if you got ten. No, you don't need no faith for that. You just reach in your pocket, you pay the ten, you get your other five back, right? But what God is in the business of doing is taking you when you have nothing. He will take you when you have nothing. You won't be able to afford a snicker bar, and God will have you looking at houses. You, you can't afford nothing. Why is God doing that? He's trying to paint something on the inside of you that will make you say, I may not be able to afford it today, but I'm coming. I'm coming. That's why God gives you vision. The vision is to transport you from where you are to where you should be. That's all vision does. It is a transportation tool. Now, faith is the energy. It is the gasoline that moves vision. So God gives you a vision. He knows. You don't have nothing. You got $100, he'll give you a $100,000 vision. He does it intentionally because he never intended for you to be dependent on yourself. And the problem with getting good jobs, see, here's the thing, because most of us have had to live by faith. If you were a college student, you live by faith. You have been a young parent, you live by faith. The problem is, is that you can make enough money that you don't think you need faith anymore. So now when you, when, so you, when you first live by faith, God says, hey, I'm a, you know, here's the apartment you should get. You go get the apartment. It look real tight. But you trust God to provide every month, and God provides every month. But then God increases you, and you make some more money. So then you make some more money, and now it's easy to live in that apartment. It's easy to do all of those things, and then you're increasing. And then before you know it, you're not really depending on God with your finances. You're not really asking God what you should do with your finances. You're asking your budget what you should do with your finances. So then in come God, he come and he paints a vision. He says, okay, it's time to buy a house. You say, I don't have the credit to buy a house. He already knows you don't have the credit to buy a house. That's why he wants you to use your faith to buy a house. He already knows you don't have the down payment. He wants you to use your faith to buy, to buy the house. And then what you say is, well, it's not really wisdom. Well, it wasn't wisdom back in that apartment. But it's your faith that got you there. So then you move in this one house and you make this one job because some of you, you're at jobs right now and you're making more money than you've ever made before. But when you pray and when you talk to God, God says to you, there is more. And then what you say to God is you say, but see here at Walmart, you got to be in this role for two years before they move. Who cares? What did God say? What did God see? Here's all faith is. What did God say? 
that's what I'm sticking with. That's all faith is. You can try to make faith as complicated as you want to, but the very basic faith is this. What did God say? That's what I'm rolling with. That's what I'm rolling with. And then faith says, I don't care that it doesn't look like I can afford it. It doesn't look like I can do it. That's why, let me help you. That's why people who go to church ought to have a faith-giving goal. See, we start the year and we say, here is how much money we want to give this year. It is always more money than we can afford to give. Because God responds to faith, not to plans. His faith, your faith will get you a plan. Now, your faith will get you a plan. Your faith will get you a God plan. And so... So God is trying to increase us. Well, Pastor Sean, why does God care what kind of house I live in? Number one, because you his kid. Do you not care what kind of clothes your kids wear? Do you not care what kind of shoes they wear? So number one, he cares about where you live and what you have because you his. But the other thing is that a blessed life becomes a testifying life. See, when God begins to partner with you to do things that the people in your life know you shouldn't have, then people get curious. And the people who wouldn't come to church with you and the people who thought it was crazy when you was making confessions and the people who thought it was silly when you were sowing and you didn't have that much to sow, when you start manifesting, then people get real curious. And then it's your opportunity to testify and say, yeah, you remember when you came over my house and I had that vision board and we was living in that apartment and you said there wasn't no way in the world that we was going to ever do that right here? This right here, this, this is that. Yeah. That's right. And God will do that for you. The challenge for most of you is that you're looking at what you have, not what God said you should have. So everything in your life is measured by what you currently have and you're stuck. You're not going from faith to faith and glory to glory because every decision you're making is based on your today, not what God said. Does that make sense? Does that really make sense? Seriously, does anybody have any questions about that? Because I want you to get that. See, it's like this. When you have a baby, when you get pregnant, you have a baby. If you're smart, even if you can't afford the stuff at the registry, you still go look. Because you got to have an idea of what it would take to have a baby. Right? And so you begin to go... And you begin to look and you begin to get ideas and images. And now they got things like Pinterest. They didn't have it when I was having babies. You go to Pinterest and you say, I want my baby. If I want my baby room to be blue and yellow and they'll pull up all of these different things. What's it doing? It's creating vision. God wants this word to create vision for you. So that you will begin when, so that when God says to you, let me help you. God is not just a God who gives us what we need. God does not just supply need. He doesn't. Because if God just supplied need, that would make him a worse parent than you are. You get your kids stuff all the time they don't need. Why would you be a better parent than God? 
God does not just give need. God will intentionally give you a desire so he can manifest it. He will intentionally give you a desire so you will ask him for it. So it becomes a faith. So what people see is a car, but what you get is a faith testimony. What people see is a house, but what you got is a faith testimony. What people see is a new title and a promotion and a bit and the fact that you own a business. What you know is that it started with your imagination and something that God showed you and you walked it out. You are supposed to use all of those to go to the next place. Two more things. When Abraham, if you look at in Abraham, I mean, in Genesis, the 12th chapter, it says that um, God told Abraham to get up and to leave where he was and to go to another place. I want you to actually see this. Go to Genesis, the 11th chapter. Go to the last verse. Tell your neighbor, say logic will cause you to settle in a place that should have just been temporary. Your logic will cause you to settle in a place that should have just been temporary. I want you to look at this because we always talk about how Abraham got up and went, but I'm going to show you why Abraham had to get up and go. If you go to Genesis, the 11th chapter and the 31st verse, it says, and Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son's Abram wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go where? Where did they intend to go? Look at it. Where did they intend to go? I need you to pull your Bible up because then you don't know if I'm making it up. It's the, we, we in the Genesis, the 11th chapter, and the 31st verse. Where did Terah get up to go to? To go where? What's Canaan represent? The promised land. So he got up because he had a promise to get to a promised land, right? And then it says, and what he came to Haran, and what did he do? He stopped there. You know why he stopped there? It was better than where he came from. Many of you have stopped because it's better than where you came from. You have settled because it's better than where you came from. But you were called to go to this promised land, to this set place that belongs to you. And because you have settled, your kids are stuck with you. The reason that Abraham had to leave his daddy to begin with is because his daddy wouldn't go all the way. His daddy was supposed to be in Canaan first. Don't be the person in your family that your kids have to leave behind to get to the promised land. Because you won't go where God told you. God ain't done with you. The story of your life ain't double income. Four good days, three all right days. That's not what you're called to. You are called to an abundant life. Because, of, listen, first of all, everybody will always want to reach the down and out people. Praise God, the down and out people need to be reached. I'm not against reaching down and out. Somebody need to reach the down and out people. 
But if we go get right now a hundred down and out people and bring them to this church, how are we going to take care of them? It's some up and out people who need Jesus too. But do you know that up and out people who need Jesus don't listen to broke folks? I'm trying to get you to stretch to see that what God is trying to do in your life, it may, see, because sometimes God will say to you, it'll just be something fleeting. He'll be like, I want to give you a new car. Or a car will start to attack, catch your attention. And what you'll say is, I can't afford a car right now. Instead of saying, all right, God, is this you? What you want to do? God will say, I want you to go back to school. I want you to apply for this job. I want you to start your own business. I want you to do this. And what you'll do is tell God why you can't afford it. You'll tell God why you don't have the time, why you don't have the strength, why you don't have the ability. Understand that when God gives you an idea for something that's too big for you, that's the perfect time to say, now how are we going to do this? That's what partnership is in faith. So I'm going to give you this thing and then Pastor Evans going to come. I hope you guys have been blessed by today. Listen, I want you to stretch yourself. We're not called to live average. We're just not. We, we, we don't, we, we're not called to that life. We want, we, here's how it has to be your mentality. This is my mentality. If Jesus died on the cross to give me all this stuff, I owe him to receive everything he has for me. He was beat. He was pierced. He was nailed. He was ridiculed. He did it all for me. I'm not going to disservice him by only taking whatever it is I think I deserve. I deserve it all because he died to give it to me. Not because I'm so much, but because he's so much. So I want to give you just a a story uh, just about how God will like use your imagination just to, because, you know, we talk about how um, when God transforms your mind, that your soul is composed of what? Your imagination. So God will deal with your imagination. God will deal with your imagination. Let me say this. God don't care how much stuff you have as long as stuff don't have you. He don't care how much stuff you have. He don't care how many pair of shoes you have, how many pair of jeans you have. God don't care how many houses you have. What he does want to know is that if he asks you to give one of those houses away, that you would. That's, that's all God want to know, that the stuff don't have you. He doesn't care about the stuff. So years ago, um, we only had three kids at the time, three kids and Chris, and we wanted to go somewhere for spring break. And I was praying about where to go for spring break. Now, I was praying about where to go for spring break because I didn't have the money to just go where it is I wanted to go. So when you don't have money, you have to pray. And the problem for you, a lot of you, is that you got enough money, you don't think you need to pray. (laughs) So you pick whatever it is you think you can afford. Well, I couldn't really afford anything, and I wanted to take the trip I didn't want to use a bunch of Edwin's money to take the trip. Like, not that we have, like, he wouldn't have given it to me, but it was a faith exercise for myself. I wanted to use my own faith to take a trip. So anyway, I went online, and I started searching, and I found this place, and I thought this place was amazing, and we decided that we were going to leave, and we were going to go to spring break. It was like this wonderful, wonderful place. I had meditated on it. I had taken a picture. I had paid for it, and we got up, and we drove all the way to where? Gulf Shores. Gulf Shores. And we got there and it was like 11 o'clock at night. And when we pulled up to the place, I was like, this can't be our place. <laughs> they like the GPS says. So I go in 
And, and so, so Pastor Ed was trying to make me feel better. He's like, we could just stay here tonight and find another place. No, we can't stay here tonight because this doesn't match what's on the inside of me. So I go in, I ask to see the room. <laughs> now listen, here's the truth. People who know me know I don't cry real easy. I saw the room, I just burst down and started crying. I was like, this is not what I saw. Anyway, I made them give me my money back. <laughs> like I was like, you can go to the car. I got this, something to get our money back. <laughs> Watch me get our money back. Clearly they had tricked a lot of people because the girl just said when I came again, she said, you want your money back, don't you? <laughs> I was like, yes, I want my money back. Now, listen, this is how much I did not trust them. I said, I want cash out the drawer. I, I don't want you to credit back to my thing. I want cash. I made her give me cash back. Anyway, so we went and stayed at a Ramada Inn that night. We got up the next day, and we went down to the water, and the water was brown. I was like, this ain't the will of God. Now, I saw all them people, they was happy, skipping along the beach. I was like. We did not go on vacation for no brown water. We could have went to Lake DeGray for brown water in Arkadelphia. I'm not getting, I'm not putting my kid. It was pine trees sticking up out the water. And so I said, and Elle said, what you want to do? I said, I want to drive till we find it. So we drove out of Mississippi, across Alabama, I just said, I kept, we was driving down the coast. I just kept saying, keep going to the water balloon. Keep going to the water balloon. Keep going to the water balloon. Finally, it's spring break week. It's not supposed to be any rooms left anywhere. We see all of these, these um, billboards. You can stay here. You stay here. We get to this one thing. It's called a Pelican Resort. I'll never forget it. And I called them, and they said, we have one room. I said, we got to get to Destin, Florida. We drove. We gunned it to Destin, Florida. <laughs> And we get there, and I walk in the room, and it's the exact room that God showed me. Here's the thing. Sometimes the first place you get isn't what God said. Don't move in and stay there. Don't give up. So what you got to go a little further than you expected to have to go? When you get there, you have what God says. So don't be like, Terra, who settled at a place that was comfortable when God has more. Listen, we may be living better than our parents, but I can tell you that the Bible is clear. The Bible says a wise man leaves an inheritance for our children's children. That means that as believers, we shouldn't even stop until we have money for our grandkids. Until we have an inheritance for our grandkids, we ain't even done that. We, 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 it, until we have, um, I have a friend, come on, Pastor Edwin, I have a friend and she, her kids go to a really prestigious school and she said that when she went, she says a lot of Jewish families there and you do know that we are grafted into the, gov to the Jewish covenant, right? If you didn't know, don't hate Jews because they're your brothers and sisters, okay? They, they're your folks, don't hate them. So anyway, she said that she noticed that whenever she went to the school to do her volunteer hours, that the Jewish grandparents were always there doing volunteer hours. She said, so finally she asked them, she said, why are you always here? And the lady said to her, she said, well, our covenant with Yahweh says that we should leave an inheritance for our children's children.
So we save our money to put our grandkids through school. And our kids are working now to put their grandkids through school. An inheritance for our children's children. So some of us got some catching up to do because we didn't even get an inheritance, right? <laughs> we didn't, some of us, some, now that's pretty, some of us need debt cancellation because our parents had light bills in our name before we was eight. Some of you, you know, you know. Some of you had a telephone before you could talk. <laughs> but God will accelerate you. But you have to ask him. Really, here's what you should say. You should say, God, what I want is everything you want me to have. Not what I think I deserve. Not what I think is enough. What I want is every single thing you want me to have.